0: Dopey Podcast Dopey Podcast Well now is the time for the Dopey Podcast podcast. Where you call in and put all your life on blast And you call in and talk about your past Because your life was furious, hardcore and fast So now is the time for the Dopey podcast. Podcast It's the Dopey Podcast The Dopey Podcast, yo this is the Dopey Podcast This is the Dopey Podcast Now if your life was furious, hardcore and fast you feel like you're off and put your life on blast Just call up the show and i talk about your past Cause now it's the time for the Dopey Podcast Dopey Podcast It's the Dopey Podcast The Dopey Podcast Yo This is the Dopey Podcast This is the Dopey Podcast
1: This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Oro Recovery. Created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends Evan, Jared, and Bob to create a rehab institution that treats addicts and alcoholics with compassion and connection rather than control. The staff there has decades and decades and decades of experience in treating addiction and co-occurring mental health disorders, including... SMI. They make sure your detox is as comfortable as possible, which is very important when you're kicking drugs like alcohol or heroin or crack or coke or anything, of course. They have amenities you wouldn't believe, including equine therapy, the incredible sound bath meditation, surfing, and of course, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. If you're fucked and you want to get some help, I highly recommend going to sunny Southern California and checking out Oro. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Knockin' Doors Down, a podcast with the mission to end the stigma around addiction and mental health with humorous, honest, and vulnerable conversations featuring guest celebrities, experts, and everyday people. Celebrity guests sharing their stories of addiction and mental health issues include... Brandon Novak, Carmen Electra, Scott Stepp from Creed, Lamar Odom, Caitlyn Jenner, The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, Kurt Angle, and me, Dave from Dopey, because I'm right up there with The Nature Boy. Anyway, it's co-hosted by Jason, who's in recovery for addiction, childhood trauma, sexual trauma, and a family lineage of addiction, co-hosted by Mikey, who struggles with substance abuse and mental health issues, including depression and anxiety. Knocking Doors Down is available wherever you get your podcasts, and you can check out their incredible video stuff at kddpodcast.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Sober Buddy. Love Sober Buddy. I know I've talked to you guys about the Sober Buddy app before, and I think you should check it out. But what I want to tell you today is that Sober Buddy has just opened up a crowdfunding campaign that allows you or me to own a piece of the company, which is pretty amazing to me. You help them raise the money they need and they give you shares. It's a win-win. You can purchase shares in the regular CF offering and raise capital for future expansion. And CF, of course, is crowdfunding. You can find the link to their campaign on DopeyPodcast.com or on their website, YourSoberBuddy.com. Sober Buddy has already helped over 30,000 people on their sober journey, and this is your chance to help them get their app out to even more people. So check it out. Give them some love to support a product that helps people achieve sobriety, which is what we're all about at Dopey, too. And sign up for their app so you can have your own sober buddy. Hello, and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave, and we are in Los Angeles in the Motel Sakura with Aurora. Woo! And, and Aurora just said I look high.
2: You look very high. You're glassy-eyed.
1: You know, and we've... G- and,
2: like, giddy.
1: Well, I'm not giddy. I'm tired and glassy-eyed. I feel the glassy. You know, I don't know if you know this, but I haven't been to the doctor in, like since the la- i think it was like 6 years ago and i think i got a bad appointment and i called you right after the appointment worried about my health. Do you do remember you, that? I haven't been back since.
2: Do you go to the dentist? Yes. That's good.
1: But not the doctor. You and i go to the doctor. and i feel like there's weird blotchy things in my vision.
2: You should have a eye exam, you should have a physical.
1: Yes. And the colonoscopy. Ooh. Extra propofol, please. Um My plan. I'm
2: so scared of the colonoscopy. Aren't you scared? Devin
1: just had the colonoscopy. What do you say about it? He said it is like it never happened. They drank the propofol. He woke up in another room and he went home. That was it. Thank God. No muss, no fuss. I have another. You
2: know, I get so a- I get such anxiety leading up to any kind of appointment like that where it's a little bit scary. Um That. I had one recently. A, a colonoscopy? Year. No, I had an appointment like that a year ago, and like for the first time ever, usually my heart rate's like super low. Like they're like, "Are you alive?" Like my blood pressure is so low. I'm like, "Yeah, I just was stoned for a lot of years." But this time it was actually like off the charts because I was so anxious about this appointment.
1: See, I think in situations like that, like when I go to the dentist, I'm really nervous. They're not gonna give me nitrous, or they're not gonna <laughs> give me this thing. And like, then I'm anxious. Do I tell them that I need the thing? Like, I have a friend who went and got the colonoscopy, and they didn't give him the propofol. Isn't that what? crazy? I think they lubed, <laughs> lubed up the camera and <laughs> fucking went to town. But um. This morning, I flew from...
2: Do you Now, you're supposed to have a colonoscopy early, right? People do not want to hear about this, FYI. Why not? <laughs> I don't know.
1: I think the middle-aged Maybe, contingency... Maybe I think because your
2: viewers are... Your listeners are younger.
1: I think there's a spectrum. I think there's older listeners, there's younger listeners, and I think there's some right in the sweet spot of getting colonoscopies or recently having had colonoscopies. So the question
2: to the Dobie Nation then is, do you need it at 50 or do, do you need it at 45? Like Devin because-
1: said... That it's 50, but they've just backed it up.
2: To 45.
1: To, to, so, like, yeah. we're in that the new sweet spot, which is in between 45 and 50. <laughs> but what I was going to say was that this morning...
2: I told Jeff, to, my boyfriend earlier, like, I see why you only want to live to, like, 85, 90. Because, like, I mean, already what's happening to the body, like, by the time we're that age, it's just like, forget it. You're just breaking down.
1: Well, I mean, we are bio mechanical machines, you know what I mean, like, and and we get old, and until it's the future where they can harvest organs, and set you up with a new colon, or a new, you know, elbow, or whatever, it's dreary times, and death, death is attractive, I'm ready to go, I'm like Biggie Smalls, I'm fucking ready to die right now, but when I went to uh, the airport this morning, I was really fearful of, like, the process, like, I was so anxious about like the
2: travel yeah the, the traveling that's normal. that's normal but for nothing
1: like i think it's like it's the old fear of like getting busted at the airport like that old fear but then like the real fear is like uh-oh what if my ticket isn't for today <laughs> what if what if the flight is in an hour and i didn't know what if i missed it what if they won't let me through like it's like and i get so bent out of shape about it
2: yeah travel no traveling is very anxiety inducing
1: and then, like, when I land and I look out, we, I landed in Burbank, and I see, um, and I used to live, me and Todd and Jeremy lived right across, like, like three blocks away from the Burbank airport in North Hollywood, across the street or something. I here. just
2: burped, do you think, of the mic? I burped at the same
1: time, and I couldn't hear either burp in the headphones. It was a silent burp. Aurora took me to this very fancy. Uh,
2: it wasn't fancy. It was very casual.
1: But it was fancy foodie kind of thing.
2: I guess so. On the
1: foodie meter, it was fancy. Yeah. What kind of... Was it Thai? Taiwanese. So that's where... Viet, what's time? Oh, from Taiwan. Taiwan, yeah. It was pretty good for the most part. Yeah. But I wanted to say this, that when I got off the plane, whenever I see... First of all, the mountains in, in California are very beautiful, but did you ever watch the show M.A.S.H.?
2: uh, growing up yeah
1: so they used those mountains for mash so when i first moved out here i always thought about mash but now when i look at it all i can think about is is being dope sick and scoring and methadone and all and it's like this misery that i experience when i get off the plane misery and fear Hmm. and also the stress of driving yeah a lot of a lot of that stuff
2: do you know that i live just a few blocks from where biggie smalls was gunned down
1: I didn't know that. Yeah. Is there I did, a plaque? I didn't
2: quite realize, like, until I watched, like, I mean, I knew he was killed in L.A., but I didn't ex- realize, like, what the corner was, what the cross streets were. And when I watched the Biggie Small stock, I was like, holy shit, that's right there. Is there
1: any kind of plaque?
2: I don't think so. It's right Mural? by the Mural? Nothing? It's right by the auto museum.
1: So I'm out here on dopey business. There's a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of secret dopey business. I'm going out to... uh Oro recovery tomorrow. I'm gonna meet Mackenzie Phillips at her rehab tomorrow. Cool. I'm gonna meet the sober buddy people tomorrow. I'm like, and then there's secret stuff happening that I don't want to reveal yet. but it's very exciting to take a little trip. See you, Aurora.
2: I think it's good for you.
1: You do. Yeah, I know it,
2: I know it, it it scares you, but I think it's a good experience for you.
1: I like, I swear to God, I got to this hotel f- feeble like an old man, <laughs> like scared of traffic, scared of checking in at the motel, scared like I'm not going to be able to figure out how to, they have a Roku TV, I'm scared I'm not going <laughs> to be able to like sign in, <laughs> I'm like fearful I'm not going to be able to watch Succession in my bed, you like may not. I'm going to watch it on this, I'm going to watch it on my laptop, isn't that sad?
2: No, why, we'll try to get it set up on your TV, because that would be nice if you could lay in bed and watch it.
1: I know, but I also had all these people to see. I'm too tired to see them. How are you, Aurora? How's Los Angeles treating you? How's this visit treating you so far?
2: I'm delighted you're here. Really fucking happy. I'm glad you met my boyfriend.
1: Very nice. Very accommodating. Yeah. Very very sweet.
2: Thank you. And... Yeah, I'm good. I mean, I'm betrayed. Very
1: youthful. I look very old compared to him, and I'm only a year older.
2: No, you don't look old.
1: You think I'm still looking youthful? Yeah. Wow. I
2: think I have an old face now.
1: No. Yeah, stop. I have an old face. Oh, stop
2: it. I should have got Botox.
1: You know, I, I was going to say something that I can't say on the show. What? I'm not saying. Uh, it would be very foolish of me to say what came into my mind. So, Dopey Nation, stand by. Is and, it disparaging to and me? And stand down. No, it's just something I shouldn't say stand on the show. Stand by. It's it says nothing... Too- has, Fuck you. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you. It's something I just shouldn't have shouldn't have thought of, shouldn't reveal. I shouldn't say it on the show. So that's two can secrets. Can you tell me offline? Don't tempt the dopey nation with secrecy. Of course I can tell you offline. Right. I apologize, dopey nation. It's very rude. Um,
2: How am I? I'm, I'm good. I mean, I'm a little, I, I'm i a little between two worlds because I bought a home in another state. Um, which is
1: a big grown up move.
2: Yeah, which is like, I fu- you know, I'm growing up.
1: Growing and, up. And you've checked your recovery program at the door. Done. Yeah. Finito.
2: Not, not not using yet. Not finito.
1: Let me ask you this.
2: Listen, I've been very frank about my, my journey this year.
1: But what does that mean?
2: I mean, I have oh, I have shared open and honestly about, like, where I'm at.
1: So let's hear it. Where are you at?
2: I think I've shared it the last time I was on the program, too. I'm like, I am like a drift. Um, I am that classic, like between five and ten year person in recovery that you hear about that's like drifted away from the program. I'm like, not going to any meetings. I'm not calling my sponsor. I'm not doing step work. I'm not checking in with people. No sponsees.
1: All your sponsees are like using. All my sponsees are out. (laughs) (laughs) Fucked up. Let me ask you this, though. But still sober. Let me tell you a little story. I pray
2: a lot when I fly cross country. That's when you pray.
1: (laughs) Please, God, don't let this plane go down. No. So check it out. I went to the meeting yesterday and like at the end of the meeting, I shared that I was fearful about coming to Los Angeles. Right. Last time I was in Los Angeles, I was just smoking a ton of butt, you know, like I was smoking a ton of bud. Mm-hmm. I like got it. I think I got a quarter as soon as I got here and I stayed stoned the whole time. And the time before that, I came out to L.A. and, um, I don't know if I even told this story on Toby before. That's interesting. I came out here to do, it was to work on, before The Last Jewish Waiter, I was working on this video project at Katz's that I wanted to call Behind the Counter. And the idea was it was like behind the music, but about Katz's. And we had all this footage and I came here and, and to work with Brad on it. And Brad hired me to work on, he was working on a, on a cable show called lockdown about juvenile offenders who were in jail. And he, he said he wanted me to help him with that. And I don't think I did anything to help him. He helped me with this cut that we didn't do anything with. And I was, I was smoking pot around the clock and I had just started dating Linda. And, uh, and, and, and I had decided that I was going to fly Linda out here and I was going to take her on vacation to, uh, is Marina Del Rey here or is in Florida? No, it's here. To Marina Del Rey, I think. Okay. We were supposed to go to like wine country. That is
2: country. not a vacation spot.
1: I don't know. I don't know where we went. We went to a vacation spot, but I, I I don't remember where we went. Okay. Some like very beautiful place a little south of here or a little north of here. And it was beautiful. And I don't remember what the town was called. Okay. Um, And it was like the first grown up. Thing I've never flown anybody anywhere, so I buy her a ticket. I buy us like a nice room in this nice, swanky place because I was trying to impress her, and I was really nervous about it. And when I was with Brad in the house, I didn't rent a car because I'm a nervous wreck. Why would I rent a car? But when Linda came out, I needed to rent a car so we could drive to the resort. So I rent the car, and I wanted to see all the old haunts. So, I went back to the house that I lived in Echo Park and I drove to the parking lot. Uh, I, I just drove around Echo Park and I saw one of the guys I used to get high with, or I used to cop with in a, in a supermarket par- parking lot with like one of these chains of, uh, of shopping carts. You know, these chains of shopping carts mm-hmm. out here that these guys have. And I see the guy and he's like, Dave. And I'm like, you, whatever. You're, you know what I mean? I wound up buying, you know, a bunch of dope off of him. Oh, sure. And I went back to Brad's house. And uh, and I got high and then I stayed high on heroin like I had the uh, the Afrin bottle and I was squirting it up my nose and nobody knew about it. I stayed high on the whole trip with Linda. She never knew about it. And I mean, she knew about it later. And then I flew home and it was just like it was such an easy relapse that nobody knew about. I didn't mention it to anybody. I think I told Todd about it, but like I didn't mention it to anybody. There were no consequences. I did a bunch of dope out here.
2: Was this after your mom died too?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, I, I didn't start dating Linda until just right, after right. my mother died. Right. But I came home. No muss, no fuss, no nothing. Like it was like if there was a perfect relapse, that was it. And like so, I had th- I have that in my head. Not like I'm gonna use. Like I'm not gonna fucking use. All I ever say to
2: is that the first time you start, you relapse on heroin after you'd come out of rehab and
1: no, no. Okay. No, that was before we went. I went to rehab. I went to rehab years later. You know, when me and I went to rehab after we had had Nora. Um, that was that was when we just started dating. That Cause trip,
0: because
2: I, I thought when we reconnected in New York, your mom had recently died, and you'd also recently come out of another detox or rehab.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think I was in a... An, I I didn't go to treatment then. The first real treatment I went to was in twenty eleven, where I met Chris. And and that was after Nora was born, um, I think I had been to maybe a detox then, possibly I don't know. The point was that it was this perfect relapse, um, and and that that kind of shit can happen, and and so that freaked me out about coming here, and I like confessed to the meeting, like not that I am planning on getting high, please I'm not planning on getting high,
2: but just like do you still want to go to a meeting? Yeah. Tonight?
1: No. But I, I I mean, do you want to go to a meeting tonight? Now that I've said this, you're like, I better get Dave to a meeting. But the thing is, like, we were talking about reservations. This is our meeting. And my stoner reservations and shit. And like, and I was thinking about what you said. You know, when you're in that no man's land post five years and you're not going to meetings, but you're sober. It's like that's when you are ripe for like somebody smoking a joint at a party. And you're like, well, I haven't, you know, whatever. And like, that's where I think you're right. I'm working a crazy program. I'm fucking sharing before I fly. I'm like, we're having meetings out here. I'm going to two. We, re-
2: I know we flip flopped.
1: I'm going to two rehabs tomorrow as, as a visiting ambassador of sobriety. That's awesome. Isn't that weird?
2: That's great. Bizarre. I love it. I love to see it.
1: What's your fucking plan? I'm worried you're going to you're going to you're going to be, you know, and I told you they they're selling bud on Houston Street. What <laughs> the fuck is that? What do you think about that? Aurora?
2: I mean, they sell butt everywhere around here, dispensaries.
1: I'm saying in New York City on Houston Street, you go out of Katz's and there's like a trailer where they would sell coffee and donuts yep. and they sell nuggets.
2: It's just like the donuts or the ice cream truck like I, you know.
1: I so you feel comfortable with that?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't make me like it doesn't make me wish that I could get high. It doesn't make me uncomfortable. It it doesn't threaten my sobriety. I feel like
1: I was walking. I left Katz's and I'm walking up the street and they have the cart with the bud and they have like you know they're advertising Girl Scout cookies, OG Kush, Purple Haze, blah blah blah. And uh, and I see this dude and he's like he's like this bud is whack and he's like all angry and he's pissed. I was like dude. I was like are the is the bud not good there? He goes. It's cabbage. He goes, overpriced. Gabby. And I, was, I loved it. He was like, he was probably home. <laughs> There's something yeah. no in the bud it was really expensive, but it cracked me up. I was walking through Washington Square Park and kids are like setting up like, you know, like a lemonade stand, but it's just a table with, with huge joints on the table. And I'm like, God. I'm like, how much is a joint? And he's like 10 bucks. So, wow. so a huge joint in Washington Square Park right now is $10. That's a deal. It's not bad. No. It's probably like a, a half a gram. It's like not that. bad. It seems, you know, it's status like, right, well. you
2: can just, it's, like, it's that ease, right? You right. Just you just pick it up. It up. Yeah. You're, you're, you're like, you
1: know, you're six years clean. haven't been to a meeting. Yeah, yeah. Something goes wrong, you know, <laughs> or, or, you know, whatever. It's just, it's an interesting time to be alive. You know, it's a weird fucking time to be alive, but I feel good. I feel I feel good to be on this trip.
2: I mean, it makes me worried about like I'm not worried for myself, but I I, it's you know, it's crazy to think about kids, teenagers like my nieces and nephews, like my 14 year old niece is starting to get high, stoned like
1: you've had you've had family younger than that, doing worse than that.
2: I don't know. Not really. What
1: about that kid? Which kid? Your uh, your godson.
2: Oh yeah, he. W- yeah, he. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I have.
1: So your niece is getting high.
2: Fourteen. Getting How high. old
1: were you when you started getting high? Fifteen. And when did drugs become? See, you didn't have the kind of thing that I had, but you, you were, you were out there. When did? When did you start taking real drugs?
2: Sixteen or seventeen.
1: Mm. Yeah, I don't worry about anything though. It's like fourteen is too young. I don't think that the coffee cart on on. But the dude in Washington Square Park is not going to be like, how old are you? He's going to, d- but nobody would have done that. That, that would, nobody cares how old a kid is when they sell them. butt, right.
2: No, no. I mean, I'm just like, I, I don't want my 14 year old nieces, nephews, you know, your daughter, like the thought of them getting high or doing dr- drugs at that age is like terrifying.
1: Yeah, definitely. Especially like I, I actually had, you know, our sponsor, like I'm going out to Oro, mm-hmm. um, And, uh, I was like setting up the meeting with Evan, the guy who owns it. And he was like, there's a guy at Oro right now who is a dopey listener. And he came because of the dopey Adam. I was like, that's great. And he's like, he's like the guy wants to leave. Can you talk to him? And I was like, sure. I'll talk to him, you know? And, uh, and it turned out the guy didn't want to leave, but he was this very successful software engineer who like, you know, he, he, he self-professed shot so much dope and coke that, uh, he can't find veins and he has to like do all these different things to find veins. And that also he's like using quote unquote successfully. Right. Meaning like he hasn't lost a job. He makes a shitload of money. Um, and then I was like, well, why did you go there? And he was like, because I, I fell down a flight of stairs and broke my back and punctured <laughs> my lung. And I was like, Not that yeah. successful. Yeah, so I'm trying to like talk. And it's like, I don't know. It's, it's like to try to talk somebody to wellness is like, it's like a joke. It's like I, I couldn't even believe I'm on the phone trying to do it. I don't know how anybody does it.
2: No human power. Like, no.
1: Well, and here you are. So So this is your meeting. I guess so. And what's up with your pops?
2: Oh, my dad? My dad has been, you know, I've been uh, very torn up.
1: Before you explain, explain just to anybody who doesn't remember the story of your father, explain your dad's story.
2: So my dad is, you know, was a child born out of wedlock in the 1940s who started running away at the age of seven, you know, thief, arsonist, General, Arsonist, general fuck-up and, you know, has been a heroin addict, crack, crackhead alcoholic for his whole life. And, uh, you know, he's 75. You know, he's got major mental health issues and addiction problems. And so we've had a very spotty relationship. And he stopped drinking for a while and our relationship became, I mean, throughout the years... You know, sometimes, sometimes I'll talk to him sometimes, you know, I'll receive death threats from him. (laughs) Sometimes he, you know, he doesn't speak to anyone in his family, you know, his,
1: you are his one lifeline to to the world. He doesn't have any, and he was super grateful for you too.
2: Yeah. And we, and when I got sober, we started having a lot more contact because he'd stopped drinking as much. And, um, in the last, I'd say year, 18 months, he's just become more and more erratic. Um, you know kind of slipping into the same old routine like little things will uh will just send him over the edge where he ends up screaming fuck you and hanging up on me we'll go months at a time without you know calling me or picking up phone calls um he's in some like delusion right now that the next door neighbors are trying to like poison him through the vents and he's like trying to get a hold of the district attorney in the town like he's kind of
1: what do you, do you think he's just nuts, or do you think? He, what do you think? He's, do you think he's using anything?
2: I think he's drunk. Is what's happening? Is like I think that, you know, over the last year and a half, uh, it's been very painful for me, and there's been a lot of times where I'm like, how could I have handled situations differently with him? But I came, you know, I talked to him a couple months ago, and he's like slurring, and I'm like, of course, he's fucking drunk. <laughs> he's drunk again, and that is why you know, he can't speak to me and that's why we can't have a relationship because he's out of his mind
1: and there's nothing you can do about it. No, you're going to go home for Christmas though.
2: Yeah, he actually, um, so three weeks ago we spoke on the phone and it was like after we, he hadn't picked up my calls for three months and then for three months for three months. And then we spoke three weeks ago and within, Two days, he would called me like 40 times. He needs help emailing the district attorney. I'm like, you know, no, Dad, I can't, you know, I can't really. I'll try to help you email, but I'm not emailing the district attorney. And it, you know.
1: He got pissed.
2: Oh, yeah. Like, fuck you. You're fucking dead to me. You're a fucking bitch. Don't ever call me. All
1: the money I've hidden is not hidden in the same (laughs) spot.
2: (laughs) Then he called me this morning. Aurora, uh, I'm gonna. I'm trying to unblock you. I'm trying to figure out how to unblock your number. <laughs> like, so he called me from some other phone, and uh, you know he wants. I'm gonna be in town a, at Christmas, and he does want to see me.
1: Well, I'm excited to hear the next, Oof. the next story of your father. But um, it's
2: like I gotta remember he's an untreated alcoholic.
1: Right, and he's not. It's not like he's about to get fucking treatment.
2: No. He's very sick and he's got, you know, whatever mental health OCD and whatever mental health health issues and addiction issues like. Yeah,
1: well, if he wants if he wants a scholarship, you should you could reach out and if anyone in the Dopey Nation wants a scholarship, you should reach out and fucking leave a good review and all that stuff. But we were fortunate enough to have a guest besides my great friend Aurora, which is the Hills, the reality TV star from The Hills and Laguna Beach, Jason Waller. And let's listen to Mr. Waller's tale of highs, lows, woes, and recovery. Shall we?
2: Let's do it.
1: But before we get to the great Jason Waller, I just want to say that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. And you can check out betterhelp.com slash Because life is full of stressors. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have. Your life is probably stressful. Lord knows mine is. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors. And get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. See if it's for you. And this episode of Dopey is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Dopey listeners get ten percent off their first month at BetterHelp.com/DopeyPodcast. That's betterhel dopey All right, here we go, Jason Waller. <laughs> You're a, t- a current TV star. We never get current TV stars.
3: <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me, man. I'm looking forward to doing the show.
1: And if you didn't know from his voice, he is a you are a reality show legend starting in the hills, Laguna Beach, and now on the hills. New beginning, an athlete and guru of recovery. Jason Waller. Welcome to Dopey.
3: Oh, thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Uh, it's my pleasure. Is it, is it fucking weird to get high and drunk in reality television and then to get sober in reality television? How difficult is that?
3: Oh, my God. That is a fully loaded question. I mean, at first, it was amazing to get high and drunk on you know, national television. But uh, when, when it becomes to the point where every drink you or every time you start to drink, man, it's starting to cost you $10,000 because of legal fees and, and being arrested, it, it no longer becomes fun. Uh, but, you know, transitioning and, you know, going into reality television sober, it was a trip because it was like when I went back and I hadn't seen some of the cast for many years, it was like me meeting them for the first time again, uh, just because I had a totally different perception on not only, you know, who they were, but myself in general. So it was it was a trip and it was, uh, you know, it, it's crazy looking back and, you know, it's it's actually kind of alarming to see some of the stuff that I, that I had done uh, in my earlier days.
1: I watched a little bit. I watched a little bit of the new show and I watched a little bit of the old show. And it like, I, I you know, I've, I've never been that much of a reality TV person. Not that I think there's anything wrong with it. It just, it, you know what? It reminded me a little bit of wrestling, you know, like,
3: it's Did a, I get it. Did I get it. Yeah, for sure.
1: It's a lot of talking that, that shit, I, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it, uh, trust me it wasn't, uh, you know, something I'd, I'd grown up and was like, I can't wait to be on reality television. I mean, for me, it was uh, kind of placed in front of me. Uh, and it was something that I was like, ah, you know, why not? At the end of the day, with this, you know, this is kind of a one-off thing. It'll be cool to have my senior year documented on, on television. And, you know, that way I can look back and, you know, just have this piece of history. But little did I know it was going to turn into the phenomenon that it did and, and the, the domino effect of, of success that it had.
1: I think it's awesome. I also think it's awesome to go on sober now and be a sort of public advocate of sobriety, even though that, that's probably a heavy-duty responsibility. But when when you went on, was the Hills or Laguna Beach first? It was the Hills first. Laguna Beach was. Oh, no, Laguna Beach was. Forgive me. Um, forgive no, me. Good. Now I want to kill myself that I got. I, oh, I, I had a 50% chance of getting it right, and of course I got it wrong. But... How how hardcore were you drinking and using prior to getting on the show?
3: Oh God! I mean, prior to getting on the show, I'd probably say it was in the it was it was the beginning stages of my addiction. I mean, I was probably drinking, you know, mm. I I don't know. I mean, probably twelve pack, you know, every you know Friday Saturday, right? Uh, and then when it you know that that definitely escalated and got much quicker. Uh, I'd say you know, probably six months down the road and in the middle of filming, I was, uh, doing beer bongs full of vodka. Uh, so it, it definitely dominoed and it spiraled.
1: You had the ism before you were famous.
3: Oh, dude, I had it way before I actually done some, you know, deep diving and looking back at, to when I was a kid and I can see, you know, way before I ever picked up a drink or a drug, I definitely had, uh, you know this isn't for sure. I mean, I can even look back when I was like seven or eight years old. I, I would go and cut my neighbor's roses and go and sell them to her. Uh, <laughs> so it, you know, I could see some of the little, uh, you know, manipulative, lying, conniving type of shit that I would do. Um, you know, that kind of that took me on this on this spell. But you know, at twelve, thirteen years old, I could really identify this the the shame, the self hatred, you know, the depression, the anxiety, OCD. I had a lot of these underlying issues that uh, I never addressed or, you know, I, I actually, let me take that back. is because my parents knew something was up. So I went to therapy, but I was never in a place or, you know, was willing to get completely honest with what was going on um, because mental health and addiction was so new back then. Right. And so I, was, I wanted to kind of play the surface level game uh, and let them know that, you know, I have a couple issues, but it's definitely not as, as deep as you think. Um, even though, you know, during when I was, 12 years old. I had OCD so bad. I used to wash my hands until they would bleed. Um, and, uh, I mean, there was some really deep underlying shit that I, I did not know how to disclose to other people without them being super judgmental or biased.
1: I'm really curious about that. Cause I don't know anything about OCD except for like what I've heard on the Howard Stern show or Joey Ramone stuff. Like, right. When do you, when do you realize you have it? And like, what is washing your hand till it bleeds really about?
3: So great, great question. And so I don't know when, when I don't, I haven't been able to identify the exact core root cause. And I mean, I've done a ton of therapy and a ton of different stuff around OCD. And, and uh, I've been on medication now for almost 20, geez, yeah, 20 plus years. Uh, you know, I, I'm very open about when I take a, a low dose of Lexapro and it, it definitely helped mitigate that. But uh, I got very, very concerned around diseases. Uh, I don't know if that was after like sexual education class or whatever it was, but around, you know, sixth, seventh grade, um, you know, the OCD, the obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, I was just afraid of germs. And so, I mean, I would compulsively wash my hands and it was, you know, my brain wouldn't register. It was so bizarre, uh, you know, washing your hands, even though you just did it, you you know, you saw that. I mean, I would go to the lengths of, it's like when people, I didn't have the thing with like opening or closing doors or the lines, but like, I would look in the sink to make sure I saw bubbles or, you know, I'd look at my hands. Like it was this, uh, it was so bizarre because you, you couldn't convince yourself that you'd done it correctly and you would have to do it again until it was perfect. And then you'd be able to go on your way. Um, and mine was so severe. It was debilitating. I mean, my parents knew, I mean, I had to wear gloves, uh, like literally neoprene gloves full of neosporin, uh, because I would literally make a fist and my knuckles would burst, like would open up and start oh to
1: that's
0: terrible.
3: So,
1: but you were also, yeah, you were good. also like a young popular athlete guy. How do those things go together? Like, how do you be like such a successful baseball player with this crazy fear of dirt and germs?
3: Well, that's well, great question again, man. It's, and that's, I, the by the way, I,
1: in- I love it when you tell me the questions are good. So if you think it's a good question, tell me, cause it really goes right to no, me. No, I like that.
3: You know, fuck, it's money. It's money, man. Well, because it's, that's the thing is that at 12, 13 years old, I was having to live a double life already. Right. I was trying to pretend that I didn't have or struggle with this stuff. Only the people that knew are the people at my house being my parents, my siblings. Uh, and outside of that, I had to try to, you know, manage, or so what I thought manage, you know, perception of, of what people thought of me. Um, you know, I mean, everybody that's, I think every single person wants to be liked, loved, and, you know, admired and, you know, I don't want to be known as this person has got a fucking uh, a hand washing disorder. right this weirdo
1: whatever. this this weirdo needs yeah, to wash so, his hands all day yeah, I got you
3: and I think so I think that was accompanied you know by you know making sure and I think that's kind of what sped up over the course of time of leading the, into the addiction stuff is because you know that would, I'd be fast forwarding until because that happened when I was 12 13 years old and then you know my addiction I think my first drink was right around like 15 or like 15 15 or 16. I can't remember exactly, but um, I think that's when, like, I got that relief, you know, because those, those symptoms and stuff went away. Obviously, I mean, the medication that I took helped with that as well, but I was able to distract myself from, you know, the OCD stuff with other things. And then when I found alcohol, um, you know, it took it away completely. Um, so it was a, it was a, a messy cycle.
1: Totally. Totally. And that must have been, so when did they, they, they started you on, did you say Lexapro or Wellbutrin?
3: No, so I started, a, uh, actually my first medication was Effexor, okay. uh, XR, which uh, that was a very, I mean, for people out there, I mean, especially mixing SSRIs, antidepressants with alcohol. I mean, I'd go into rages when I was, you know, 17, 18 years old and I was on Effexor Uh, you know, you definitely, I don't think you should be drinking anyways when you're on an antidepressant or an SSRI because you actually mitigate the effects of it. Um, and it actually can have counter effects, which it did for me. And, uh, I would go into, I mean, completely blackout, drunken rages and just become fucking violent. Um, and so again, is, I mean, I'm not sure I've never, I switched medications, you know, years later. And again, as I, I have not drank, uh, uh, on this new medication that I've been on, Um, you know, uh, definitely like I, not like I used to, uh, you know, I did have a relapse. I want to be very transparent. I relapsed a few years ago and I was on Lexapro, but I didn't have the same, uh, outburst like I did on, on Effexor. Um, but, uh, Effexor was a, a gnarly, a gnarly combination with alcohol.
1: Right. And, and in that period of time where you're kind of like getting your alcoholic legs, your addict legs, like, when did you start noticing that maybe you drank not like the friends around you and, and the kids in, in high school? Or were there a bunch of alcoholics budding in Laguna
3: Beach? Uh, <laughs> man, yeah, exactly. There was, it was, I mean, I knew I'd, I I was known as kind of like the partier, and I kind of liked that, right, right? So I did even, even. Uh, I always say, you know, I had overinflated ego with an underestimated sense of self-worth. So if I could find validation in those outer uh, areas, I would definitely take them. And, and definitely people that drink and use like me. Um, you know, and I think it got progressively worse when I moved from Orange, from Laguna Beach to uh, to L.A. You know, when you get out of your, your parents' house and you got the freedom. financial restraint parents and stuff like that. So when I really ex- experienced the freedom is when it, it got way worse. Um, but it was really hard. Look, I mean, again, is we have to look at, we have to remember we're not in the time that we're in now. When we look back when I was 20, that was nearly 15 years ago. Uh, we didn't have the knowledge or the resources or the education that we do today around substance abuse or mental health. And, you know, there was still so much stigma associated with it. And, you know, I don't, uh, I know, and I know a lot of people got sober back then too, and I'm not discrediting that, but it was also very hard for me to be like at 20 years old. And again, some of that was just, you know, being naive. Also, you're, you're super impulsive at 18, 19, 20 years old. You know, so it was kind of hard to, even though I was getting arrested and shit was happening, I was like, oh, this is just kind of part of the motion. You know what I mean? And, and, and I'd say, you know, inside, I knew there was like, I mean, I was, there was something much deeper. Um, so I'd say in my mid-20s, but it was, it was hard to admit that I, you know, I struggled with alcohol at such a young age because there was. There was some fun times, you know, partying and stuff like that. My, my addiction, I summarize it like this, is drinking and using was fun. It became a lifestyle and it became a way of survival.
1: And, yeah, I get uh, it. I mean, know, I, I, I had fun. I had fun abusing heroin <laughs> until it stopped being it's, fun. You know, I had a great time. Right. Of course. Right. It, so it, it.
3: I think it was holding on to those times you know, I mean, I think it was really kind of holding on to there was really good times, you know, but then it got to the point where it was really that survival stage. And it's like, yeah, now I'm drinking, man. And it's like every single time, you know, like I said earlier, in the, in the, uh, in the conversation is, I mean, dude, it was like nine out of 10 times, you know, I I was getting in trouble. And uh, that, and this, you know, just the, uh, the the damage and the harm I was causing to my friends and my family and, and the close people around me. And, uh you know this ruining relationships and and it became very very apparent but uh i mean there it, my my disease took me to to the bottom man and it took uh you know not only, only the contemplation of suicidal ideations, but actually attempting suicide um and you know when i trans transformed my life and initially got sober dude it wasn't even for myself you know part of my story was it wasn't for me because after you tried taking your life and there's nothing that you want to live for anymore When you think that you have everything that society says is amazing, being money, access, cars, girls, whatever. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. And you're still at this point of this, like, I fucking hate life. Um, You know, uh, uh, there was no motivation for me, but my family dynamic and and my parents specifically, who I'm very close, close with, uh, were that turning point for me. Uh, They, you know, they're a huge part of my story. Um, but there, that was my moment of clarity was actually motivation for my, my family until I could actually get some clarity, you know, in my early twenties.
1: Right. When you're, when you're on this reality TV world and you're like a famous person for being this like rambunctious drinker, partier guy. So you're being rewarded for it. I, I had a similar experience happen to me, just not nearly on the scale of yours. You know what I mean, and I and I knew I knew what it was like. I I got a job working in television, right? And uh, the guy was like, "Just so you know, no matter how much drugs you've done, I've done more." And I was like, "Okay." And it kind of I became like their pet, who could use and like I would they would like it when I used, and it was fun. And I think that's kind of what happened with you that they wanted to see you fucked up, right?
3: To some extent it created hundred percent. It created a character, man. And I had to live up to that character.
1: And to describe, describe what that felt like, like when fame arrived and you are inactive addiction, alcoholism, whatever you want to call it, like describe that. Cause I think it's a very exciting, I mean, it's very dangerous. And thank God you lived, you know, and your story is obviously yeah. fraught with pain and shit, but talk about the, what it was like at first, like when it was exciting and, and crazy.
3: Yeah. I mean, look, at first it was incredible. You know what I mean? And it's like overnight, uh, instant access, you know, I mean, the recognition, like I said, I think everybody wants to be wanted and loved. Right. And so all those needs were met instantly overnight. And then you accompany that with, you know, the money and the the partying. And it, it was, uh, it was literally i thought i was living living the dream uh you know i always say you know at 18 19 years old you know most of your friends are looking for fake ids and i'm being paid to travel the world uh and party and so it was this uh it was so surreal and there was you know there wasn't like nobody could really relate to it you know the highs were so high uh and the lows were so low but again that first year of when it happened it was incredible you know, I mean, I, I'll never forget, like, you know, getting out of high school and then going up to L.A. I mean, we lived you know, in Laguna Beach. We didn't grow, grow up in, like, some big city or things like that. And so, I mean, I, I'll never forget, like, when Talon and I went and met Frankie, who's also on the show, you know, and we were, you know, 18 years old going into these clubs. It was just like, a, you know, we're used to going to, like, house parties in, in high school. And, you know, now you're going up to, you know, you're going up to Sunset. You're going off in Fairfax. I mean, you're going to all these different clubs and stuff, and it was just such a crazy experience that, I mean, it's, it's hard to put into words. It's the you know total, I mean? it's
1: it, the total I have arrived, right? You have arrived at that point.
3: It, 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 I mean, yes. And that's, and that's what it was without even, without even knowing it. Um, Cause like I said, it all happened like overnight. I mean, I'll never forget the moment that I woke up after the first commercial came out, literally the first commercial, not even the first uh, like episode. And I went down to the gas station and, and was my, I was just, my car was mopped. I was like, "What the fuck?" (laughs) Like, you know, just people. Can we? Can we get a picture? Can we? You know, it was just like, it was so. It was so weird. Um, And then you know, just like you start going out to dinners, and people are starting to, you know, just people following you. It was just a. a, It was so crazy. I mean, it's it's a totally different environment now than what it was in two thousand five, two thousand six. I mean, you didn't have the Netflix, you didn't have the YouTube, you didn't have really. I mean, Facebook was around, but you didn't really have. Social media it was more like MySpace. You know what I mean? It was right. different and that we lived in. Uh, everybody had cable television.
1: Totally. Was the fame more intoxicating or scary?
3: Oh, intoxicating. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
1: I would. So, I think uh, I would love that. <laughs> well, but, but, <laughs> I, I'd get for a kick out. Sure.
3: We did but it, but it also, the thing I think is that the scariest part is it drives you away so far from who you really are. For me, it did. Um, is I totally lost sight of who I was, what I liked, my morals, my values. Um, and again, I mean, that's 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 just me in, in poor management, but again, is also
1: you're a kid, you know, though, you're a total kid you
3: know, years old, 19 years old. I mean, we're super funny. that's the most that's the time males are the most impulsive. I mean, I think everybody, but specifically males, are the most impulsive people at that age, right? So, I mean, it was like super hard to try to contain anything. I mean, you just were. I mean, your hormones are gone. I mean, you're, you know, you're living life and uh, and everything all at once. There was like a tidal wave. Everything this, the access became. It wasn't like slowly, you know, doors opening. It was just an instant. Um, and like that's. I mean, I remember going to the DMAs when we were 17, 18 years old and flying to Miami and just you know, all of a sudden you're around this like this lifestyle and these this entertainment and you know, you're 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 going to these parties and you're with all these different celebrities and you're just like what the fuck happened? You know I mean? It was just, it was so surreal. It was just, it was the craziest experience, you know? And it's funny because I haven't, nobody's really asked me questions like this in a long time. I mean, not like in the depths of this. People have asked kind of just like the overarching umbrella of what it was like, but really looking back, I mean, I'm getting flashbacks of all these times of just, you know, of, of all this stuff that we experienced. And honestly, I haven't thought about it in a very long time. Uh, well, it's exciting.
1: Know, the- it's exciting as hell. Like to go to the Video Music Awards at that age as stars. Like, who were some of the performers there?
3: Oh, I mean, I, I did. I was probably blacked out by the time that <laughs> happened. I remember you know, just being at like Puff Daddy's house, and I mean, it, like it, it was just like the the. I mean, Little John. We, I mean, all the people we right. were in- connected to uh, and associated with. It was just like you, like you said, you kind of you've arrived um and it was it was from going from a little surf quiet town in laguna beach to you know mainstream media and this show like i said the show was it was a cold phenomenon i mean it, it literally transformed reality television i mean that's what you know you look at laguna the only other show that was out at that time i i, I believe was like the real world i think that's when the osbournes kind of had their show starting to go and right there was a couple that were starting to go at that time, but it was really a part of that like real docu-series television series that, you know, it's, it's like what we see today with the real housewives, Jersey Shore. And, um, you know, a lot of the different shows of Siesta keys and, you know, the, um, yeah, a lot of the stuff that you see today is, is piggybacked off of how they shot it.
1: A hundred percent. And I have a couple more questions about that period. Um, the first one, it's like, once you're fucked up on camera, is it hard to be sober on camera?
3: I mean, I, I to answer the first question, is it hard to be fucked up on camera? No, uh because you don't even know what's going
0: on,
1: right? Uh, and and it, I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure it eases anxiety. You know, I'm sure getting fucked hey, up, I, you feel bulletproof on camera, and you can be like larger than life and all that shit.
3: A hundred percent, it does. And I, I will say, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's easy being fucked up on camera. I mean, obviously, uh, you know. it's it sucks when you do something stupid and right. then you have to witness and see it. So I mean, I think that pain is not worth the, that that risk up front. But um, you know, on the other end, it is uh, it's incredible to see it and, and watch the environment from a sober perspective, mm. um, and to you know, people watch watch how people change. I mean, it just being being on it sober was such a different experience, and it was such a it was such an eye opening experience because. I also was, I saw a lot of, I was, I was able to be in tune with myself. I was very hyper aware of everything that was going on, things that made me uncomfortable, things I wanted to engage in, things I didn't want to engage in, Um, you know, and you're, you're sticking to your roots of of what you believe. But I think it's pretty, it's crazy because, you know, I look back and I think it's rad how I've had this opportunity to be this, you know, uh, this, this part's not rad, but to be that drunk womanizing alcoholic and then to have the opportunity to be able to come back and be this you know, this guy that's sober, who's married, who's got a family, uh, and to give hope to those that are, you know, that are out there because, yeah, my, my addiction was very public. Um, you know, I mean, that's,
1: that's the thing, right? It's like every, all of us who have gone into recovery have had those nights and those minutes, but we're not on reality TV shows. So like you carried the message in your worst moments.
3: Oh, no. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, going, I mean, thanks to TMZ and all the, you know, the weekly magazines and all that stuff. I mean, it, 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 that caused that, that shame and that guilt. Uh, Again, it's, it's on me, right? I take full ownership in that, but it didn't help, you know, going checking out the grocery store and seeing your picture arrested again. And, you know, just all these different things, you couldn't get away from it. You know what I mean? And just, again, as the the disease got worse, I mean, media became more prevalent and, you know, filming on your phones and, I mean there was a lot of situations that were very embarrassing um and very very uh uh challenging to go through and process and that actually can, that actually is that's the insanity of it that caused me to drink more.
1: What was give us give us a, a low light of that period. A low light? Like a highlight I mean, low light of like a really bad one.
3: Yeah, you know, I mean like look at the end of the day I mean I think the the where I saw myself and and I I visualized this is it was towards the end of my drinking and using is, I mean, I would always have parties at my house towards the end and, you know, you'd have all these people over and, you know, I remember doing those in the beginning and you'd be social and hang out with everybody. Uh, but it was literally like out of a, out of a movie or a book, dude, I would have all these people over and I'd just be in my bedroom and or in my bathroom by myself, you know, snorting lines and just pounding vodka, uh, just, just having this miserable existence, you know, um, and just, uh, it just wanting to check out so bad, trying to chase that high that was there from years ago that never was coming back. Um, and that's where, I mean, like the lows, dude, I mean, I'll never, I mean, there's so many, so many lows. Uh, you know, it's funny. My, my aunt and uncle bought a house in Laguna, right on, um, on the, on the water over uh, a cliff. There's this place called Heisler park. And, uh, after they got it, it's, it's weird, you know, going over there and walking out on their balcony because that, uh, that exact – their view literally is to where I had four uh, – I think it was three or four helicopters uh, looking for me out in the water uh, because I was just so fucked up. And I just – I was just kind of over it. And I, I'll never forget, you know, I just – I swam out. I just kept swimming. And, uh, you know, the helicopters had to come and pull me out and fucking the police. It was just like there's, there's so many of those moments. I mean there were so many lows but it's just crazy how I can, uh, take those lows, you know, and understand that all great change proceeds through chaos. And I can look at these moments opportunity for, uh, to make an impact, um, you know, make a change and, and to look back. But, uh, there are some, there are some pretty shitty moments, but I think it's what I really comes down to is that being completely isolated from a person that really loves life, loves people, Mm -hmm. loves, you know, loves being outdoors, loves, you know, sports, loves surfing, skating, snowboarding, uh, you know, just a per- person that likes being active to being cooped up and having everything robbed for me um, and just in complete bondage to the disease of, of cocaine and alcohol um, is a miserable existence.
1: When did uh, when did the drugs come on on the kind of career life? Like, were you doing coke before uh, the TV shows or did it come with the TV shows? Yeah,
3: it, it came like right. it came like it, it right when we started filming. You know, I'd say like when we were like eighteen, I think in high school, was, no, definitely in high school, we started doing it. Um, and then, of course, I mean, it was like we would hit the, s- the slopes, bro. You would have to go get your goggles and your ski poles. Right. i nineteen. Right. You know, and the rest was history.
1: Was everyone was was everyone sniffing coke? Were you ever shooting it or smoking it, or it was just you? No, no, no. Everybody
3: was snorting it, bro. It was, uh, it was. I mean, we it got to the point where you just wear the bullet around your neck. You know what I mean? And just. Yeah, you know, I, I, for years I would just have it with me all the time. I mean, I'd have candy dishes full of it with little booger sugar spoons. And, uh, but I, I, everybody was doing it at that, that time. I mean, I probably did it. Wait, I probably, did, I probably <laughs> definitely didn't do it recreational, like some of them, but, uh, I mean, I was, you know, I'd be up for days and that was the other thing too. I mean, the Coke come down, I was so sensitive to it. Yeah.
1: Um, it's horrible. What, were it you was, doing pills or anything?
3: I didn't like opiates. I didn't like, I like, I'm going to, I'm a very, if you met me in person, dude, I'm high energy.
1: I, I don't like being, even though
3: alcohol is a depressant, I understand that. But I like, I like being, I don't like, I never liked opiates.
1: What about benzos for the, for the, for the fucking edge at the end of the Coke night, the landing gear?
3: Yeah, I was always afraid of a heart. I was always afraid of a heart attack. So I always thought it would be better to drink a fifth of vodka.
1: Right. Okay. I mean, (laughs) I I, I talked to so many drug addicts at this point to kind of figure out, like, what their combination was. And the Coke and booze is a classic combination, you know?
3: Well, yeah. But, I mean, I thought, you know, I was so smart. I mean, at least back then I was like, yeah, I'm not going to take benzos. You know, I might have a heart attack, but drinking a fifth, it's got to be better.
1: Right. That's got to be better. That's got to be better for something.
3: Yeah. But... Uh, you know, that was kind of the combination that I, mean, I, I incorporated. It. I didn't really, and I also, dude, I remember smoking weed for the first time, uh, when I was like, whenever I, I want to say, like, I'd say my, I said 15, 16, my, I probably started, you know, tried using like 14, 14, 15, I, that's where I'd kind of land on. Um, and I smoked weed for the first time at my friend's house and I had the worst experience of my life, dude, we were down at failure. Uh, smoked, and I just fucking had like this paranoia attack, and I just started running, dude, like Forrest (laughs) Gump all the way back to Emerald Bay. I ran like three or four miles and fucking just told, I just told all myself, I was like, I smoked something fucking weird, and I think the cops are after me, and I never, so I never liked weed. I never really got into the marijuana thing. I mean, if I was really fucked up, I'd smoke it, but um, it was really alcohol and cocaine, Uh, and then later uh, down the road, it became
1: uh,
0: pharmaceutical
3: synthetic. Yeah. Pharmaceutical synthetic grade meth. Good old Adderall.
1: Well, I'm excited to get to the Adderall, but first let's find, I want to find out the the bottom. Like it was, was it the suicide attempt at the end of this that brought you to, uh, to the first recovery?
3: You know, so, I mean, that was a part of the, the, the thing. And I was telling you kind of, kind of like my parents, um, you know, they were such an instrumental part of my life. And after the, after the suicide, You know, after some stuff had happened, I'd actually was doing okay, um, you know, for, I'd say for a couple months and, you know, I was on and off. And then I ended up getting a DUI, which again is, is one is more than enough. That's all I have. But I remember back in the days, everybody thought I had like 50 DUIs and stuff like that. But um, just for the record, it was, it was one, which was enough. And I was parked uh, (laughs) in a red zone uh, arguing with a girlfriend and that's how I got my Dewey. But um, uh, it was, that had happened. Uh, you know, things were going decent, that had happened. And I just was never I just couldn't get into this I was just in this this place of just like this miserable existence, right? And it'd been there for a while. But I remember going back to a therapy session with my parents, you know, for the, the hundredth time probably at this point, and you know, I was sitting there and Uh, and looking across and, uh, I'd never seen my dad break down before in his life before, besides when his mom had passed away. And he's like the patriarch in our family, just a a really solid backbone to, to the whole family. And, uh, you know, he just looked over at me and he just said, uh, you know, as we were halfway in the session and, you know, this, this cut came up and he's just like, look, Jason, uh, you know, we, we, we don't know what to do anymore. You know, our marriage is suffering, uh, you know, everything is falling apart. Uh, and you know, your mom and I are like two planks of wood laying in bed, waiting for the phone call at your bed. And I don't know why, I mean, trust me, there's conversations that happened before, but I don't know if it was because I had some clarity, but it was literally like a light came on. Um, and that was the motivating factor and the turning point for me, um, to really, you know, like, Hey, look, I don't care enough about myself, but I'm in a place where, you know, they caught me at the right time where so you can call it whatever you want. Um, God shot, whatever it may be. And, and I said, look, um, don't care enough about myself, but I care enough about them. And, and I'm willing to, to try this one last time. And that's when I went off to, uh, uh, treatment in Florida, uh, was out there for some time. Where'd you Uh, go? it? It was called the treatment center in Florida. Um, I don't even know if it's around anymore or not, but that was back in 2000. It was July 23rd, 2010 okay and uh, and uh not there and then i actually was sober for about 45 days um close to and then i came back and then i entered into celebrity rehab and i went into celebrity rehab sober and people were like why would you do that and you know you're going back for you know people are on there for all sorts of reasons whether they're doing it for the money the 15 minutes whatever it may be and i really went back to change the public's negative perceptive perception of how i was perceived through all the uh all the negativity and there was just so much negative press out there. And it was like, uh, so I went there and, and not only, you know, was I able to, it was, I was like a background prop, you know, I just got to watch all the chaos that was going on. And, you know, I was on there with Janice Dickinson, Lake yeah. Garrett, you know, Jason Davis, unfortunately, who's no longer with us. And, um, you know, just, Wait, who this, is, was, who was dude. that
1: guy, Jason Davis? What was his dude? He,
3: he was Marvin Davis's grandson. Um, he was also, a, he was, uh, I don't know if you remember the show recess. Uh, the cartoon. He was Mikey. He was also um uh, Chris Farley's uh when they would go back in time on like Beverly Hills Ninja and stuff. He was the kid on there. His family owned Fox. Okay, uh,
1: okay. I remember. Was, I, know, was, I,
3: remember. I, remember. Brother, I remember. Okay. His brother was Brandon, the one that would call Lindsay Lohan Firecrotch with Paris.
1: Right, right. No, I remember. Yeah, I remember so that
3: that whole, that whole crew. But um yeah, and ended up you know I ended up connecting really closely with Dr. Drew and Bob Forrest and. Um, after I'd came out of there, dude, I kind of, i went back to Orange County and, and removed myself from LA and that's where my real journey into recovery started.
1: Let me ask you something. Cause I'm, I'm pretty tight with, uh, with Bob and, and, and I've had drew on the show a bunch of times and I love those guys. Um, do you think though, and like separating those guys from the show itself, do you think something like celebrity, celebrity is potentially harmful? Cause you're, you're working in recovery all over the place. Uh, like with, with, yeah. with, with retrospect, do you think it's potentially harmful? Cause so many people talk shit about celebrity rehab now. Like what a not compassionate thing. It's not right for people to get sober in the public eye. It's, it's for a TV show. Like, do you have any opinions like that?
3: Look, I think if you're in, I think there's, there's a, I could see both sides. Right. right? And mm-hmm. I think there's a great opportunity to raise awareness and education and enough is not being done around addiction. we got the leading cause of death in America for 50 year old individuals and, and younger uh, and and nothing's tended to change. You look at the statistics of the deaths over the last 15 years; it's only been a stair step up. There's been no decrease, and it's something that we're we're really battling against. I think there's TV proponents to it that can be very subjective and right. uh, can be very uh, negative. But I think if you have a very well informed doctor and clinicians and you know therapists and different things like that, like for me, I think intervention glorifies so much on the negativity um, you know, it doesn't show, show any solution. I think for those shows, it'd be awesome for more people to show not 80 to 90% of the show focusing on the negativity, but showing the, the, the reality of the disease after, you, you know, so it's once you actually arrest the disease and you get stabilized, that's one piece of it. But the rubber doesn't hit the road until you actually get out of the container. And I think that's where it's informative. Wait, hold up, hold
1: up, hold up, hold up. What container? I like this rubber hitting the road. What container? What are we saying here? I'm with you.
3: Like residential treatment, when you're in a confined environment, being like a residential treatment, it's not hard to stay sober. In there. Right. That's, right. That's the easy part. When you come out of it, like come out of the treatment center or out of deep, out of, when you come out of specifically a 30 days of treatment, that's when the rubber hits the road. Right. When you're going out to your natural stressors, being light, You know, how do you bring that back into a controlled environment and process how you move forward? And I think that's where it's, it's, that's where I think a real TV show can be created. And actually Dr. Drew and I have talked about this on numerous occasions of how, you know, I think there's the TV elements again, as I can see how people can be very frustrated and angry around, you know, taking advantage of recognizable people. And, um,
1: well, it's, uh, it's a double-edged you know, sword, you know what I mean? Like, it is,
3: a, but I mean, but on the other end, look at me. I, I mean, I'm, I, I, that, they're a huge part of why I'm sober today.
1: Right. But you had the luxury so. of going in there sober like of having the pre-treatment was probably great for you.
3: It, it was, but still, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, I mean, it's, you're still, you're going back into that environment and that environment's still going to be, I mean, it's, yeah, you're not detoxing and stuff like that. No, I get
1: it, dude. When I, I love that show. I loved getting high and watching that show. Like I, I loved it. I, I fucking loved it. And, um, and I've had a bunch of people from celebrity rehab on dopey and I don't, necessarily have an opinion one way or another, because I think like what you said before, like there is no telling the reason somebody gets it or somebody doesn't. Um, I understand both sides of the coin. I want Dopey to be a big recovery TV show. That's what I'm going for. Yeah. Killing myself hey, over here.
3: I think I think the whole thing for me, and to summarize that is I think the, uh, you know, the more education and the more information that we can provide from very credible people, is important you know and again as i don't think that at the expense of people struggling and things like that i think there's a way to give a full picture right where you can show it. you can if the person doesn't sustain or maintain sobriety you can have really informative education explaining what what's going on and what's happening
1: without objectifying them or putting them in a bad situation correct right i got correct. you i support that and so that was like the jump off into into a bunch of sober time for you though right
3: yeah, I ended up requiring about five years of sobriety.
1: And you wound up working in the in, in the field.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up um so after I'd left Celebrity Rehab, that's where like I got really was in a place of surrender and willingness. And I got connected with uh Mike Netherton, who was the president of Betty Forge for twenty five years. He was the right hand man to Betty, and I also worked very closely with Paul Alexander and I got taken under their wing with nice. about ninety days of sobriety at northbound treatment services. Uh, that was like my first real job, you know, which I actually say was one of the biggest saving graces to actually find something that I was able to latch on to and have, you know, purpose, uh, a passion and motivation and really, really to have some form of accountability, mm. um, you know, and, and to be in that spot and uh, worked in the field for 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 a long time still do to this day. But I mean, that whole process was incredible. I was a recovery advocate. Uh, which helped, uh, you know, people coming into detox get acclimated and acquainted. And, you know, when they saw me, they're like, what the fuck are you doing here? And, you know, we'd talk shop and uh, develop that whole program. Our ACAs went down about 80%, which is, you know, people leaving against clinical advice. Right. And, uh, it was creating this, you know, this good cop mentality versus bad cop where the clinicians, you know, were the ones that were kind of more the enforcers were if there was an issue that I would be able to, be sent in because I had that first, you know, firsthand camaraderie experience with them in the beginning, whether they needed, you know, coffee, cigarettes, or just kind of that, that good, uh, good, good cop mentality and, uh, ended up developing a whole team into that. And we came up with a whole activities program. We came up with like a hundred and some odd activities within the 30 mile radius because we were dealing with a lot of younger adults, uh, in recovery. And it's really important to show that you can really embrace and enjoy life and that your brain produces more potent chemicals than heroin. You just got to let it work um and so you know we had this whole activities program and client services program and then we took over the alumni and went over and took over marketing and uh things got really really good man and I actually ended up leaving them after you know three and a half four years and went and started working on another program and um you know a lot of that uh, container for me or that structure was taken away because it was a program that was out of state and um you know accompanied with other stuff but life had gotten so good that i had started to lose sight and lose track of all the things that i was doing that got me there
0: Mm.
3: and i got complacent and uh you know um i went back to my own devices which i thought would be you know you know which would be i thought i could handle this and you know i didn't need to keep going to meetings i didn't need to connect with my mentors or my sponsors or uh stay active and stuff and uh you know uh got sucked up into the worldly things, if you will. Uh, you know, just with this, whether it was with my, my wife and just getting the house and just kind of this the uh, that, but then there was also the distractions of this, you know, uh, success. And, um, that ended up taking me down a, a deep, deep, dark, uh, rabbit hole. And I ended up, uh, you know, going to see a psychiatrist and, uh, instead of doing the other things that I know I should have done and, and he knew my history for a long time. And, uh, you know, with no intention, honest to God, of not wanting to abuse drugs, I went and, and you know, I, I knew I had I struggled with when I had OCD, I had ADHD, and I was actually prescribed Adderall when I was really young, I hated it, and, uh, you know, um, I, you know, I uh, was taking his advice, and when I got uh, prescribed Adderall, you know, within three to four months, I got prescription dyslexia, and instead of uh, taking one every Every day, I uh, or one every few hours. I took five every one hours, and, and it just it it just dominoed, and I was up to was taking like almost three or four hundred milligrams a day.
1: How is it? How I mean, like I I, I consider to going to a psychiatrist and getting on Adderall all the time. Like that's my new thing in my mind that if I had Adderall, I could be incredibly organized and way more productive. And so, tell me what what brought you to the psychiatrist in the first place?
3: Just because my life was I was there was so much going on and just wanting to be able to, I just couldn't cope or deal with uh, the stressors of life that were happening. Like things got almost too good where they were overbearing and I was burning the candle from both ends.
1: So what made you, were you like, were you like Adderall was like limitless in your head? And if you had Adderall, you'd be able to handle everything. Like what was it?
3: No, it was, well, you have to understand as I went, like it was more of, I went in there and, and really was seeking guidance and direction and I took the prescription as prescribed hmm. and it seemed like things were going better. Uh, and I was like, well, man, if I took one of these, you know, and I was able to get this much done, well, I bet you let's see what I can do if I take two or three. Uh, and then that's when the cycle just started to happen and it totally got reversed and it became more of, it was just like alcohol.
1: What was uh, I, it like the Adderall itself?
3: It's a, it's a stimulant. I mean, it's like cocaine. It's, I mean, for me, when you take enough of it, it's the same effects of, of, I mean, it's literally pharmaceutical synthetic grade meth. I mean, it's, it's perfectly, uh, created in, in a lab. It's, it's a high, like, uh, you know, if you take enough of it, it's, it's you're you get the high of, of like a methamphetamine.
1: Right. I've done a bunch of meth. I think I did an Adderall or two back in the day for you when you're taking it. I mean, it's p- not,
3: it's not as, it's not as like, I, I mean, I, I, I've talked to people that have, I've, I've actually not done meth. So I can't compare the, the two. Sure, It's not the same. I mean, my understanding is the meth high is obviously is more intense. But I mean, it's you're on you're you know, you're in the same playing field as that if you take enough of it.
1: Right. Let me just I want to know this. The difference between taking it as prescribed, like what did it do for you when you took it as prescribed?
3: Um, it it helped me focus you know what I mean? It helped me stay on track. It would help me stay on task. Uh, it would, uh, I mean, just having the, a lot of rushing thoughts would kind of slow my thinking down. Um, and it would allow me to complete, instead of procrastinating stuff, I was able to uh, get, get what was in front of me done. Um, but there was also the other side of it though, whereas there was this like this, this, this effect that it would have whereas i was effective in that and i'd get stuff done but there was also this like monster on the other side like it was it was also like you need more of this right it's it it's hard to it was hard to explain where it's like i was effective and doing what i needed to do um and then there was this other side it was like you know take more and almost like the thought process and the focus became more on just taking more just like it does without al- like it was with my my alcohol
1: addiction totally do you think that if you had been going to meetings while you had in that situation, you it wouldn't have like gone off the deep end and you could have taken it as prescribed?
3: No, I mean, because now, like, I mean, I was so on and off with that stuff for a couple of years. I mean, it was the biggest battle that I've ever had that even when I would just take one and I was you know, trying to go back to meetings and I was staying connected and stuff like that. It was it was the same effect. Like as we talked about, when my alcohol use in the beginning was fun, it became to that survival po- component.
0: Totally.
3: It was the same. I would take one; it would just it would affect my receptors. Uh, you know, it was it, it wasn't even it didn't even have the effect of like making me focus. It just went straight into, let's go deeper. You know, and, and and let's just let's take a bunch more. It was just more of like an instant. You know, you need more of this. It's and these are great questions. It, it's hard to no, I get looked at it. I, I, you know I mean it's like it's a deep way to look at it
1: i appreciate it I, I i hate that you have to go i wanted to hear about gambling so bad um
3: oh god man that's a whole that's that's gonna be a whole nother show
1: all right all right so well how did you get better did you go to treatment for the Adderall or did you just start going to meetings again
3: no i had dude i was so bad it took me back to the suicide you know it took me back down that whole path and i mean and alcohol became a part of it again just because i you know i was in i was in psychosis bro i was Sleep deprived, hadn't slept for days. Uh, oh, you started you know, drinking again. again. So I started drinking again, uh. yes. So all that came back on effect, and, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll leave you with a, a punch, uh, you know, and like I said, we'll have to do something again, is uh, I ended up uh, having to go. I was in detox uh, on the first floor at Hogue while my wife's water broke, and she was on the fourth floor giving birth to our child.
1: Wow, that is quite a, a last image here. Um, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm sorry that I've taken so much time. Um, no,
3: and I love what you're doing. I really appreciate and respect what you're doing. I'm so sorry to hear, you know, of your, your friend and, 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 you know, what happened uh, to your buddy, but I think it's amazing that you're raising awareness and, and, you know, taking the platform that you guys have to do, to do good with it and, you know, make it, make it more of a talking conversation as opposed to something that has to be stigmatized or, or looked down upon.
1: Totally. Totally. It was great. It was great talking with you, Jason. Um, where, where can people find out stuff about what you're doing?
3: If people have uh, best ways to either just go to my website, jasonwaller.com or, you know, Instagram is, is just my name, Jason Waller, probably the best places to go.
1: Would you say this was the best podcast you've ever been on Jason? I think you asked the most informative and
3: deep questions <laughs> that make you think. And I think it was. I, I'm very impressed. Oh, thank Usually you. Usually, it, it's like you do podcasts like this, and it's kind of like you almost have a. Uh, you've kind of got the, the the scenario down of just the questions. You know what I mean? But I love how you you know you made me think. You made me dive back into stuff that is very real, and it's uh, it's actually very gratifying to to see what things are today.
1: I'm also super pissed that I forgot to ask you about this Spencer Pratt bullshit. How do you deal with that um, shit? How do you deal with this dude fucking? barking at you all day.
3: Yeah, bro, that's a whole other conversation as well.
1: All right, next time, gambling and Spencer Pratt. I'm on it. I'm game for that. All right, thank you, Jason. Thanks very much, brother. Have a great day, man. So that was the great Jason Waller, and we're going to get back to me in California with Aurora. But before we do, I just want to remind you guys, about Dopey Patreon. Now, a lot of you guys are on Dopey Patreon, and I think you guys are really enjoying the experience. So much bonus material, interviews, music, videos, so much stuff. Me and Howie tasting our way through the Ben and Jerry's catalog. Fucking Eric Roberts was just an interview on Dopey Patreon. My dad, so much good stuff. Go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. Join up, help us make Dopey dopier, be a part of the Dopey Nation. And if you sign up for the annual $15 a month, it gets knocked down to $10 a month. And I'll send you a free pair of socks, stickers, plus tons of bonus contact. Please sign up for Dopey Patreon. I'm begging you. No, I'm not begging you. Also, there's tons of good gear available. New shit has come out. New, finally, the alternate Dopey logo shirt. We are in a partnership with SRO Prince out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Please check out the stuff at DopeyPodcast.com in the store. I have a few Big Bird beanies left, tons of socks. Hit me up on Venmo if you'd like any of it. Anyway, enough with me advertising all this stuff. Back to Aurora and I. So that was Jason Waller of the Hills and Laguna Beach. And I, I feel terrible that we didn't talk about the gambling and Spencer Pratt because Spencer Pratt is out there trolling this guy. You know anything about Spencer Pratt?
2: I do know from the from the Us Weekly days of the what early 2000s when they were always on the cover, him and Heidi Montag. Spidey. A spidey. It's so so is, gross. is Jason also a gambling addict?
1: Yeah, I think he's a gambling act. He wants to come back to talk about his gambling. Do you ever gamble? Yes. What did you get? Did for I, I tell Hold you on. The Bef- story. Before you tell me, did you get anything about? It? What did you get out of this interview?
2: I mean, I relate because I'm working on a television show right now that's much like where what he's on and where he came up.
1: So when? So tell us about that experience.
2: I mean, the TV show I'm working on right now is like a bunch of kids in their twenties in a reality house style setting where they drink themselves into oblivion. so
1: it's it's exactly the show he was <laughs> yes, on. And yes. like so how much does the production participate in the kids getting fucked up?
2: I mean, I think it depends production to production. Well,
1: your production
2: I, I wasn't I wasn't there for the filming. I'm just working on the post.
1: How much would you would you imagine they're like, Here's here's a case of beer. Here's White Claw. Here's fucking Coke.
2: Yes. Not Coke. not Coke, but booze.
1: Here's some liquid MDMA that we've <laughs> been developing.
2: I doubt that.
1: You know the what? The crew would keep that for themselves. Check this out. I'm just gonna change the subject really quick. Do it. My cat, I told you, has been running wild on our house, fucking spraying shit with you know her her urine spray. Linda's certain it's not the same thing. It seems pretty close to me that it's the same thing. Everything is disgusting all the time. That's disgusting. And we're just like, we have to get rid of... Linda, like, freaks out. We have to get rid of the cat. We have to get rid of the cat. And then we both feel guilty, and we don't get rid of the cat. So Linda's trying to get this... There's, like, a woman who runs a shelter, and they say the shelter's full, and they or a cat sanctuary, and they won't take the cat. But her mother really wants a beautiful black cat which we have so like (laughs) we're trying to give our cat to the lady's mother so linda takes the cat they were like we just have to make sure that the cat has all of its shots and blah 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 so linda takes the cat to the vet and i was like listen we took the cat to the vet in the beginning of this whole thing but maybe you should just ask the vet what we can do about the spraying.
2: I was gonna ask you if you asked the vet.
1: The vet says it's a behavioral problem. There's nothing that they can do. The first run around, they gave us Prozac that we had to cut up, like crush, like it's fucking pills, and put it in water and squirt it in the cat's mouth. Then the cat starts like, every day you have yeah, to do that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the cat's like, and, and like this horrible film of powdery water, goo is coming. She's like, <laughs> she's all this, that, and it <laughs> and, and and didn't do anything. This time, the vet prescribed liquid Xanax for the cat.
2: Dave, I don't think you... The way you abuse Benadryl, I don't think you should have liquid Xanax. I only
1: use Benadryl. I don't abuse (laughs) Benadryl.
2: (laughs) Dave, earlier at dinner, was like, I'm fucking totally taking Benadryl when I get home.
1: The truth is, I have a history of using sleep aids (laughs) but totally as prescribed you know like as
2: prescribed uh, as prescribed by myself
1: (laughs) but to be totally honest right to be totally 100 percent transparent susan my young little daughter got sick last week or two weeks ago and she would wake up in the middle of the night and she'd come into our room and wake us up and then we Are you
2: using your 4-year-old daughter as an she's excuse three. for why you abuse? She's almost 4 for why you abuse Ben. I'm
1: walking you through <laughs> what happened.
2: You're a sick fuck. Do you want to hear what You're happened or not? Fuck. Do you not
1: want to know why I've been cuz I have been on a tear. I'm going to tell you what happened. Okay. What so. happened is so we've decided that we'll let Susan sleep in the bed and Linda can't sleep in the bed if it's the three of us. So I've started sleeping in Susan's bed which is why the cat has started spraying in that room because of my smell. <laughs> but <laughs> if I have to sleep in Susan's bed, I need to take a sleep aid or I can't sleep. It's a tiny bed with a weird bumper on it. Oh my God. So I'm totally yeah, I, I've been taking Benadryl at least at least 14, 15 days, mm-hmm. something like that
2: in a row.
1: I, I took a couple of days off.
2: Maybe you need to check yourself in for a couple of days
1: aura, while you're out here. <laughs> see if I can get some Benadryl <laughs> treatment. I've been taking one piece of Benadryl. It's an over-the-counter antihistamine. It's not. It's not habit-forming. I could kick anytime I want. It's Benadryl.
2: <laughs> Unbelievable. And then
1: one night I had Nyquil.
2: Unbelievable.
1: That was the delicious Nyquil night. Um. It's not why you don't take it. You never take sleep aids.
2: Dave, I haven't had a mind or mood altering substance ben- in ben- six years. Benadryl
1: is neither mind nor mood altering. It is an antihistamine. Dopination. Nation. It let set it all straight. You
2: the fuck out. It's an antihistamine. That's why you take it. It's a. It's you a take sleep aid. You
1: t- you take it for for allergies, and one of its benefits is it helps you sleep.
2: I know why I've had. It to is take neither it for bad allergies. So you're attacks. saying it's
1: mood or it's mind altering or both. Neither, be honest.
2: I think it's mind altering because no, it you, puts you to sleep.
1: What it does is it gives you very complex and fun dreams. <laughs> Let's move on. We're gonna play a, we're, move on. we're gonna play a voicemail, which we haven't done in a long time on the old dopey show, and this is not just any voicemail. I know you're a fan of big time recovery meme pages on Instagram. This voicemail is from the brilliant woman behind. Brutal Recovery. Oh,
2: I like that one. Well, here she Great. is.
1: Now, the, Her, she, she, I, I don't want to say her name. I don't know if she wants to give her name or not. She is the brilliant woman from, I want to say Ireland, but it might be Scotland, behind Brutal Recovery. Is there really any difference between Ireland and Scotland?
2: Yes. All
1: right, here we go. And just just so you guys know what's going on, she starts really quickly, and she starts talking about how she has an alternate Uh, Identity, So that's where it starts. And her accent is very thick, but she's very funny. So give it a listen. Here we go.
4: So I had this alter ego and active addiction called Galina Rasurpovchina, which is hilarious because it's a name that I can barely pronounce. But I really committed to it. Um, She was born when I tried to move to Russia when I was 18, which is apparently something you need visa and paperwork for. That was not something I cared about at the time, but that's another story. Uh, I re- I decided that I was just going to become Galena when I graduated from uni. Uh, I went to music and drama school, but I kind of graduated not with a lot of direction. Uh, and I was working in a stock room where I was famous for being sick on a customer during a come down. Uh, and I had to take time off work all the time because I was a frequent flyer of the psych ward. But in my mind, I was in a psychological thriller. Like I, w- I was a sleeper spy on an espionage mission. When in reality, I was kind of just on a ton of drugs and never not drunk. So my career prospects at the time where I was fucking this married guy and I was really pissed off at him because he wouldn't stop fucking his wife. And I tried to kill myself a lot of times to get his attention. Never fucking worked. So on one of these occasions, I was on my way home from the ER after pulling my IV out and I went to the pub. As, as a normal and well adjusted person does, and I met this guy, um, and I'd saved him on my phone as Stark hunt. And I've no idea where the name Stark Hunt comes from, but he'll always be Starkon in my heart. So I decided that I should move in with him. and uh, which meant we were just kind of living on a mattress on the floor, just trading chlamydia backwards and forwards. So I really liked Starkon because he was a heroin addict and like I, I hadn't done heroin uh, since for, for years at that point because I was because I'm Scottish and I thought that like if I wasn't doing heroin that meant that I was sober so I was like oh I can do anything I want but I'm not doing heroin so that like totally means I'm sober uh so I thought yeah I'll just I'll just date a heroin addict there's not going to be any problem there uh so I just spent my days in Stark Hunt's flat you know uh watching reality tv smoking weed and getting drunk and I thought at one point that the reality tv was out to get me and they were sending out all these messages of like how they were going to attack me and then I started watching uh, hot girls wanted on Netflix and I was like oh fuck like I'm a porn star in Miami right now that's what my life actually is I'm a Russian porn star in Miami uh so that was my reality clearly um and there was one night that his flatmate came in and he was on speed and he was juggling and he couldn't understand why his hands didn't work so he was like oh i need to have sex with you so my hands will work again and starcon said you can't fuck her she's my bird and i thought oh my god he's in love with me uh so i decided to relapse on heroin because that's what you do when you're in love um and there there was this advert in Scotland when I was growing up which was like, it was a radio ad and it was like I would never do heroin. Then it changes to I'm not addicted to heroin, I only smoked it once. And then it changes to like, I only inject when I'm with my boyfriends. Um, and I realised like, I'm maybe a bit too much like this advert, like this this could be a problem. And in, uh, in Scotland like in my education, the only drug they told me not to do was acid. So I was like, well I can't do acid, so I'll just switch to ketamine. So there was this there was this one night where Starcon invited a ton of guys back to the flat um and I mean I I was on okay, I mean, ketamine so I don't know, if, know what the fuck was going on but like when I like woke up I uh, the flat was like completely raided like all of our stuff was gone there was blood everywhere there was smashed bottles everywhere uh Starcon was gone um and everyone like who's there was like talking about Galina I was like who the fuck is Galina and then I realized like oh shit like I'm Galina I should probably get out of this situation. I might be a bit in over my head here. So uh, I didn't know where I was, despite the fact that I'd lived there for a couple of months. Uh, And I I just went to the nearest train station. Um, I got some vodka on the way. And when I was at the train station, I smashed this bottle of vodka on the floor and I started like scooping with the the smashed glass. I started like scooping the vodka and like drinking it off the floor. Uh, And that was the moment where I thought I probably should put Galina to bed. And she's been asleep ever since.
1: So that's the brilliant, beautiful, Scottish meme maestro from Brutal Recovery. I don't want to say her real name because I never got uh, permission. Loved her. Yeah, she's quite the character.
2: Super dopey.
1: Quite the character. Dopey Nation, that's how it's done. And I think uh, this woman, whatever I want to call her, Brutal Recovery, is going to come on the show.
2: Oh, good. I bet she has a great story.
1: Well, Aurora, anything else you'd like to add before we end this thing?
2: I think there should be a a DopeyCon Los Angeles.
1: I think there should be, too. I had secret Dopey business to do right now. Mm -hmm. I was trying to arrange it so this super Dopey business would be in late January, but it couldn't be done. I had to come now. So DopeyCon in L.A., I don't know. Maybe. I don't know.
2: I think uh, I just want you to focus on dopey business that will bring you out to the West Coast more.
1: Well, check it out. Um, Aurora is very excited to be getting dopey socks. Are you excited to get dopey socks? New
2: merch. I haven't had new merch in a long time.
1: Well, you haven't shown your face anywhere. About three years. Has it really been that long? Yeah. Do you want stickers too? No. No stickers. No. No. Why not?
2: Cause they. Because you're not a kid or a skateboarder. Yes. All right.
1: Well, if you guys want stickers. Hit me up and I'll send you stickers. And if you want socks, buy some fucking socks. I please. want socks. Right.
2: stocking stuffer. Do you hey.
1: Do you want uh, the praying mantis with the Misfits logo that looks like this, or do you want the Big Bird socks? I need to see them. All right, thank you, Aurora. Thanks, Dave. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris.
2: Minase toodles.
1: We'll catch you next time.
2: Oh, we didn't talk about uh, the Beatles doc. But I haven't watched it yet, so let's talk about that next time.
1: Stay strong, Dope Nation
0: <laughs> I wanna take a walk around the world. I wonder, would it do me any good? Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I wanna be good so bad. I wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good, so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. And I wanna take a ride up in the sky. Watch this aeroplane just pass me by. And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive, just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I wanna be. Bad. Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good, so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I. They it any mind When I leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road However far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I want to be good, so bad Want to be good, so bad, so bad I want to be good, so bad Bad desires, all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And these suckers make me mad, and I want to call my dad. And it's all I ever had. It's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And I want to call my dad. And it's all I ever had. and It's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had.